0: Sleeper must awake. I think I'd be lying if I said that I had um, podcasting dreams. (laughs) But what I can say is, for sure, I had uh, dreams or at least uh, very strong hopes. one day I'd find a way to connect with uh, people who I consider great minds and, uh, you know, enlightening and inspiring people and that I'd be able to connect with them and exchange with them, exchange ideas. And I didn't really think it would come from podcasting. (laughs) Um, but I mean, apparently that's the way it goes. And, uh, today's episode with James Tunney is, if I had to imagine a perfect situation where I had this kind of connection with someone, uh, it would, it would be pretty close to that episode. (laughs) Um... There's something strange about something abnormal, but beautiful at the same time about the connection between a host and a guest on this kind of show. Um, Because it's not that the conversation is artificial in any way. But it's, it's not... We can't say that it's normal, I mean... You know, we're basically not dealing with trivialities, and we go straight to the point, straight to the deep stuff. That's what we're both here for. And uh, this mindset that we have to put ourselves into um, talking of, like, very complex and personal, sometimes personal stuff, uh with with basically with a stranger that's very that's special and yeah i think it's it's very it's beautiful i love it (laughs) but do i deserve the title of a podcaster yet well i'm not so sure because i forgot I finally forgot the basic, (laughs) Um, which was to uh, ask James uh, the question, the ending question, where can people find you and your work? (laughs) Oh, man, I hope James can, um, uh, can pardon me that, uh, yeah that bubble to the brain that i had at the end that made me forget that it's a podcast it's a show uh fortunately um uh, with james it's pretty straightforward so i can say it right now (laughs) and it's gonna be in the show notes anyways but uh james is not on social media so to find anything on james and his work I uh, simply have to go to jamestunny.com. Pretty simple. So, yeah, am I a podcaster? Well, maybe I'm slowly getting there. I, I do feel uh, uh, more and more uh, comfortable with the camera and, and the mic. And um, still having trouble... Uh, being straightforward with my questions uh but there's deeper reasons for that than just nervous uh being nervous or uh yeah maybe i'll talk about that one day (laughs) hey i should probably present myself actually there's another thing that i always forget to to do so you're listening to hopscotch chronicles podcast my name is Dominique Valley. Today's episode is with uh, James Tunney. This is our seventh episode. Yeah, as I said, a very great talk. Um, James, to me, is very impressive. Uh, I It's hard for me to understand how someone can uh, hold st- so many, uh, so much data (laughs) in his brain and connected also to, uh, a deeper reality. That's the, the other part that's special about James. I very much agree with his, um, description of, uh, mysticism as a kind of a, more of a general attitude of openness. Uh, So maybe that's why we, I felt that we connected, uh, very well actually I think also I should explain a bit uh, about I was mentioning that my um, the fact that I kind of have a a non-dual view of the world in many ways uh, kind of isolates me from uh, the rest of the world what I meant by that is that Um, it's often complex for me (laughs) to, uh, to make, to to truly make decisions that I feel are ethical and, um, based on a, a natural moral ground, uh, natural... With a big n if you want to call it that um and this is something that uh james is able to do i mean uh having opinions and opinions about what's good for the world is something that i sometimes disagree with not in the case of james because in in the case of james it's it's very it's a very enlightened position and although i have trouble uh understanding how he can think this way uh i still have uh i'm still very impressed by this uh, capacity um and also like Because James um, has uh, a career, has had a career in law, Uh, he was a barrister, and um, so his understanding of legislation and rules and being able to connect all of that in a mystical way that's that's uh that's very impressive for me (laughs) so that's why i love uh here uh listening to him uh talk so there you go um let's move right right ahead (laughs) with the bio um james sent me one uh saying that he was uh, real happy to keep it short (laughs) So here it goes, James Tunney left a career in law to explore art and spirituality. He now concentrates on explaining or advocating for spiritual evolution in the face of an attack on humanity itself, not least by technology. That's a great uh, cause, (laughs) I think. So and I'll just add, yeah, uh, very prolific uh, artist, writer, thinker, mystic. Uh, also in the show notes, and we, we talk about this at the close to the beginning of the interview, uh, there's a link that you'll find that's actually on James's uh, website where there is a ton of interviews that he's he's uh, done over the years um most of them on the um, new thinking aloud uh channel with jeffrey mishlove i mean just go look at that and look at the topics <laughs> it's just mind-blowing <laughs> the variety of things that james is able to talk about in a lot of depth you know that's yeah mind-blowing all right so without further ado see i i was able able to see it right now uh without further ado let's uh move on with the interview <laughs> James Tunney. <laughs> it's a great honor for me to have you on my show today. Um, you know, like as maybe people know by now, uh, I've I, I've worked many years in a in a warehouse just packing um, uh, orders, uh, web orders of tea and teaware. and um, people like you have kept me from uh, going completely insane uh, for so many years. And I've listened to literally dozens of hours of uh, you speaking, especially on uh, Jeffrey Mishov's show. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, it's
0: truly Well, Dominique, that, that's very
1: nice. I mean, when you're when you're doing these interviews, sometimes you don't know what happens. You have a relationship <laughs> with the interviewer. So it's very nice to, to hear that. And I'm very appreciative of the people that do take the time, and especially if they get something out of it, it, it sustains me. So I appreciate that. And so thank you for that. And thank you for the opportunity and the discussion we're going to have. Great,
0: great. So um, I thought, uh, yeah, oh, it's just for uh, so people know, uh, I, I thought there would be like a playlist of all your interviews with Jeffrey Mishlev on. Uh, Dr. Mishlev's um, uh, channel, but there is yeah, a they can
1: see on, it on my website, channel. and I'll put this link to, oh. to this one as well. So on the website.
0: Oh, yeah. great! Okay, yeah. that's good then. Yeah. Okay, but I'll still, I think I'll, I'll create that playlist, and so it'll be in the show notes for people who want to really get into the mind of james denny
1: (laughs) so i said just form a link to that and i'll save you any work Uh, all right
0: okay cool (laughs) so um yeah as i as i was saying before uh, we started recording um to me because when people see how many um uh interviews you've done on very very specific subject, and you're one of the most knowledgeable people about to me. At least, uh, I haven't encountered many people as knowledgeable as you as uh, uh, when it comes to mysticism, and even where finding mysticism when we don't necessarily expect it, and um, people uh, in auth- authors or like, uh, historical figures that we don't know. They have, uh, like a mystic, a mystical, uh, aspect to them, but you even go there. So figuring out what I was going to ask you today was at first kind of, uh, uh, a challenge, <laughs> but then I remembered, um, a bit, a bit over three years ago now, uh, as I was working at the said warehouse, um, I there's something that you said that stuck with me. And um, I even posted it back then. I'm not really active uh, on Instagram, on my personal account anymore, but I'm going to show it. Show the proof. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to read it so you don't have to read it. Yeah, yeah. Just show the, the, the little post-it note that I made yeah. for myself on the on november to 2020 and i'm gonna read the quote and because for me it's kind of the basis of what mm. i wanted to address with you today mm. so the quote is technology won't be the end of us our failure to see ourselves as spiritual beings will mm. and so i thought that could be well first of all because um uh technology is so i should say overwhelming these days that yes i mean it's it's definitely an important subject to uh to address Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so i guess transhumanism technology uh we talked a tiny bit about posthumanism in emails also so Mm -hmm. i want to address that in in, in this talk i thought just really quickly, though, and I'm experienced uh, experimenting with a, a, a traditional first questions. Yeah. Uh, first question. Um, so just to start, for people uh, who don't know you, what does a typical day in the mind of James Tunney look like?
1: Um, well, coming from an Irish uh, background. A republicanism where the the motto was whatever you do whatever you say say nothing don't give them, don't tell them anything <laughs> <laughs> I tend to uh, get on with my stuff but um I have a, a family and and uh, so and when they were small I, I looked after them today for example as I usually do I was up in the in a, in a little hole in in the in the lake it was my, about minus four which is warmer than the last it'd be minus 10. Um, mm-hmm. So swimming in the lake, it's uh, important for me. Um, so I like I like the the cold, and that's that's an old tradition. Long before Wim Hof and that did it, we can find the Irish monks doing similar things. So I, I like to get up the wood. Uh, I get up early and write uh, every day, and uh, that that has been consistent now for the last few years. I did up to very recently do a fair bit of training in martial arts just, you know, for for the enjoyment of it. Um, And so, and especially I've been dragged into things with the kids over the years. Uh, So I started judo late, (laughs) capoeira, and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a whole lot. But in the last few years, and particularly after the COVID thing, um, unfortunately, I I realized that I have to spend more time writing because really, uh, as I see it, there's an obligation to the next generation to deal with these issues and to address them. And some of the issues I realized I understand better than than uh, anyone else. So I tend to, another another strange thing about, about going in the lake is that uh, the lake speaks to you. And it's, it's a, there's an old expression in the, in the Irish about the, the tongue of the lake or the language of the lake and in many ways, uh, I become very conscious that you're the sounding board of nature when you begin to involve yourself in it. So I always mm. come home with a poem from, from, from the, uh, the mm. a walk in the woods. Um, so writing is critical. I've been painting the last, uh, the last couple of weeks. I tend, it was, it, it's difficult sometimes to do them both because they, they demand energy, but in a different way so uh doing them in parallel has not uh, you know it varies it kind of oscillates but i have been doing that recently so painting and writing is an essential uh, essential part for me and and uh, i like a bit of mental space Uh, a mental space is important for me um i did work for years in the university so i had all that kind of coming in before crowds every day Mm. so uh, it's not something that, that that I missed. I've had plenty of experience. I enjoyed that at the time, but uh, I'm very content uh, to uh, do my my own thing. So uh, uh, that type of, uh, type of thing. And in particular, you mentioned it in your question, and in my commitment to mysticism in particular, it was driven by a primary statement, which is that I of a mystical accord, which is, uh, the fact that has been a certain failure of spiritual evolution, and this for me came from the ether one day, and it was it was it was also a demonstration of the way mystical things happen. It wasn't constructed, uh, and it just appears as certain things do. And I began to think about that, and that that set me off. and It wasn't that I was new to spirituality or whatever, but I, I hadn't been concentrating. And I'd been doing other things, and concentrating on a lot of other things but uh, i began to pull at that thread and really begin to open myself up to and reflect on whether or to what extent the th- there has been a failure of spiritual evolution and what that means and i came to the conclusion or the marriage that there's a circular kind of loop that the the failure to uh, evolve spiritually is the cause of the problems that we're facing and the solution so mm-hmm. the if we continue with the failure to evolve spiritually, well, then the technology will take over us. Now, on the technological side, the, the dark side is this left-brain fascination with, with technology, and people say, "Oh, you're talking, with, you're talking on, on, on Zoom, and, and you're using technology." And, and <laughs> it's a daft argument. My, my, I've always been interested in tech, technology, not in a kind of geeky way, but in, in a macro way, uh, from the time <laughs> from the from the '60s. I was interested in what technology, what the impact it has. So so I I accepted what Arthur C. Clarke said in 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 the sixties about the impact on on technology. What I couldn't understand then even was that the future evolution of humanity would be the merger of of humans and machines. That was just I I just assumed that that was uh, an aberration that it wasn't serious. So when I came back to the mysticism and began to take it really seriously. As a a, a function of your daily life. So, to to, to corroborate the the question that you asked about daily life, I believe that mysticism is a general attitude. It's a general attitude of openness to inspiration. And that in many ways, the nature of our spiritual consciousness uh, is above words. Uh, That's why I describe it in terms of light. So it's incapable of being necessarily contained and constrained and concentrated in words or music. That, that's a reflection of the higher thing. It's an indication. It's not the end of it. It's not it, it itself. In fact, it's not the tao, The Tao, if you like. So mm-hmm. the attitude, uh, the attitude is important now. And in that attitude where one finds one's spiritual consciousness, one realizes that all the promises of technology, of artificial intelligence, um, cannot replicate or give back that which we have in ourselves. And we're in danger of losing this. We're in danger of losing because we don't understand we have it, and we've been convinced we've been convinced that there's, there's nothing there in in in, in, uh, in some sense. And I, I was thinking of today. Uh, from the kids, it came into my head today, from the kids and the Smurfs, I forget what they call them, and, and, and you know, the other Smurf, and Gargamel chasing the Smurfs to get their essence, you know, that he can use in a potion. So mm-hmm. it's worse than that for us because they're chasing us to get our essence, but they've convinced us that we don't have any essence. And mm-hmm. this is, philosophically, I've, I've talked about transhumanism, but I'm concentrating recently on posthumanism. And it's a devastating, a devastating assault intellectually on the uh, on the human on the human being on, on the human species and it, it's a mm-hmm. really dangerous one so 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 what's implicit in this is you, you say well what, people say well what do mystics do or what what i believe that the individual mystic has to do now is to vindicate the significance of spiritual consciousness and the significance of the human because from the from 1864 in particular, they began to attack the spirit as as a mode and began to dispirit us in scientific discourse. It was a deliberate policy. That's where psychology came as a substitute, psychic forces as a substitute, and and that has worked on people. So some of my friends, I talk to and and when I talk about spirit, they 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 kind of look at me as if I'm trying to sell them something, or mm-hmm. I'm telling them a lie, or I'm pulling their leg, or you know they just don't get it at all. And this this attitude is going to grow as well, whereas other people are becoming a bit more disposed to it. So the, mm-hmm. uh, the post-humanism represents an attack on the very foundation of human existence. Now, uh, And I believe the more I look at the literature, as I have studied genocide in a legal context and uh, other things... Um, When you begin to talk in a certain way, you get particular results. It's very dangerous to talk about humans as animals. It's very, very, Mm. it's part of a step towards genocide. I believe now we're talking about anthropocide, about the destruction of the the species itself. It's quite incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Churchill talked about this in in 1924, about uh, do we want to commit suicide? He's talking about the species Uh, because he saw it 100 years ago and kind of contributed a bit towards it. (laughs) But uh, um, this is the kind of thing we're in. There's a a deep, deep misanthropy, a deep, deep hatred of the human, a deep, deep self-loathing, a deep hatred of the body, a deep hatred of incarnation. and. Um, that's hence the escape, hence what's called the Promethean shame by Gunther Anders, this this idea, oh, look at them, lovely machines, everything's okay with them. Uh, and so therefore the the mystic, as far as I can see,, uh, is not from from my perspective, is not called to escape from the world. they're they're called to be embodied in the world and to demonstrate spiritual consciousness and also, to begin to make it work to solve the problem, to advocate for, for for spirituality and to address the issues, and if there is power in spiritual con- consciousness, to manifest it. So, um, so in summary, uh, th- to, to to put them together, spiritual evolution uh, is the critical point. Uh, there's many paths to that, but we have to. It, it depends on us taking our spiritual consciousness. Seriously, even if we're involved in a religion, you still have to individually commit yourself to your your, your spiritual development, irrespective mm-hmm. of whatever system you adopt. And the threat to all, and to all religions, is this attack: artificial intelligence, technology, uh, philosophy, which threatens to undermine undermine all the religions. So, if we imagine that all the all religions are founded on mysticism, and then they become crystallized and mystical stre- streams can come through them. The technology is threatening the very foundation of everything, of all of that, will cut through that, mm-hmm. will we'll destroy all religion, and will destroy all mystical potential, especially if they mess with the human brain. So therefore, the corrective uh, and the necessity for the, for the mystic is to address this, is to value, to explain, to explore, to contribute, to have dialogue uh, about the nature of our spiritual consciousness.
0: That's perfect. And that's uh, why we're talking today. <laughs> because I also find uh, all of this very, very important. Um, and it's, it's really strange, almost mind boggling for me how to how you uh, 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 as I was saying I, I contrary to the other interviews that I, I I've, I've done um, I've tried to build a kind of a thread for us to follow but you've already like um, begun to uh, uh, grow the 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 branches on the tree of our conversation because you've addressed uh, uh, evolution, uh, Promethean fire, uh, technology—it's all in there. So it's cool. I mean, I'm see see next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the plant, the 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 seed is planted and it's growing well. So I'm happy about that. Um, so but okay, so we're we're talking about technology, and just to start uh, with that term, um. Uh, Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna define. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an example. I'm gonna define it well for the uh, the listeners. Hmm. Um, because I think uh, understanding what is and what isn't technology and uh, where we draw the line in in, yes. in, in our own um, uh use of it is uh, pretty important and it's not that clear because technology it seems to me is on some sort of a, a spectrum in a way and the example i'm going to give you uh and the listeners is uh and it's funny because it's it's not something i've used personally before but the the the, the um the example i use is neutral uh nutritional supplements mm-hmm. you know like uh so if we if we start with a, a, a very um, technological uh, example of that would be the machine made pills that are the their content has been very very strongly chemically. Uh, um, managed basically you know yeah. uh but then if we move down we have them still machine made but it's all they call it natural ingredients you know so they're maybe not uh transformed or processed as much yeah. but then you could also have uh just dr- basically dried plants uh, packed in little pills you know uh and then if we if we move down we have you know we, we could just take the plants and brew them in, in hot water for tea, herbal tea. We could also consume them raw, just take mm-hmm. the plant right, the leaves right off the, right off the plant. And that would be the, the least of, of, uh, technological, uh, intervention, if you will, but if we could go even further and we could pray to the, um, you know to, to the spirit of the plant or to wig and some sort of external uh, god or entity or we could even decide to to just use our minds to uh do what the 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 the, um, uh, the, the supplements would do you know so i've <laughs> you know i've spanned the whole spectrum and yeah. for me it's it's not that clear where we should, uh, well, for me, it is, I personally uh, have my own opinion on that. But I'm curious to know, uh, how you would see it? Like, how do we decide where we draw the line? When it comes Um, to the use of uh, technology?
1: There's two, there's two thinkers that come to mind immediately when you say that one is Lewis Mumford, talking about the mega machine looking at the entire process on a macro level about how things work. That, that, that's important. And the other one is about is Ivan Illich and his idea of conviviality and what technology promotes conviviality and what doesn't. And then we could also add in the French, uh, Jacques Ellul and Bernard Charbonneau. And they and of course, Jacques Ellul was the, the, the big crit- critic of the technological society and emphasising... And he emphasizes technique as opposed to the machine element, just the way things are done. And uh, both of them, uh, although they were, one of them was a Marxist and the other one was quite on the left wing as well, and it wasn't religious. Uh, Alul was, uh, Charbonneau uh, wasn't, but he came from a kind of Protestant background. But he, they both believed that in the Christian story, the incarnation was the critical story about the idea of being incarnated, about in flesh and uh, associate with that they prized the french kind of peasant kind of lifestyle being close to the earth and and that context now people might think that's romantic ecology whatever these were ahead of the game in relation to ecological movement as well so from that critique they kind of uh, came to a result um so uh, the problem is that if you say if you come from an irish perspective um so when i talk to old guys in ireland I know that they would, when they were small, have met people that survived the famine in Ireland. And the famine, of course, when you know, a million people die, a million people emigrate. It's not that long time ago in historical terms. Why did they, gro- they, they, they die? Because they were dependent on potatoes. Potatoes is not indigenous to Ireland. Uh, uh, but they were forced to grow potatoes because it was the only marginal land left uh, to them when the colonial force took the land and um we could also i'm not going to speculate about the cause of the famine but the, the, the interesting context about that and there are interesting contexts about the attitude towards human life so um, a number of the uh, british administrators said that in the future it will be easier to see a red indian as they called it on the banks of the liffey than an irishman now this attitude has not gone away this this attitude of utter disrespect for human life is there now we believe that it has gone away now my political argument this is the context of politics my argument that i make and i'll I'll make it clearer and clearer over time is that the european empires never went away and in particular the greatest empire of them all the british empire changed it transmuted it didn't disappear It transmuted into a different form, in in particular in the 20s. They realized that they wouldn't be able to run the colonies. So they shifted into commerce, finance, regulation, international trade, and to establish the global systems that's laid out by HG Wells. It was intuited by by Churchill and that. And and so you had all the thinkers in, in the 20s telling about what the future would be like. And they realized that they were in a good position to control the communications technology. They had the communications network. They had the undersea cables, uh, the telegraph system, very much involved, etc. So, so they're in a good position to control this apparatus uh, that would be the future, which is why people like Arthur C. Clarke is so interested in communication technology, fits into that. In 1947, he said he was convinced by a speech by Arthur uh, Toynbee, in uh, in Senate House in London about, you know, the, the British Empire creating the scaffolding or the Anglosphere creating the scaffolding for this new world order. So so you have to look at what their policies are in these things. So whatever you and me decide to do is dependent as well on these macro forces. So what are they trying mm-hmm. to do? What are the things that they've said? They've made it very, very clear. The world of flesh and the devil is an example in, in, in the 28, 29. Uh, J.D. Bernal, and they, they, they identified the, the key elements of this movement, that uh, the space travel, why space travel? Well, because they want to get off the planet because they know what's going to happen when they've done what they're going to do. To it. Basically, that seems to be it's an escape route. So space mm-hmm. travel, uh, and of course, into the, they're going to become interplanetary. But this first, the first, the, the A reason is to have an escape route. The B reason is to, to, to travel for resource. That comes kind of uh, afterwards. Life mm-hmm. extension is another key key factor to extend life. They want to extend uh, yeah. extend life, and they want to increase intelligence. And this is done according to Bernal, and this was supported, I think, by Birkenhead and Lord Birkenhead and other people that were in government. Now, these Be- Earl Birkenhead and Churchill had negotiated with the Irish Republicans in 1921. So this is this is the the context. They're realizing they can't do this all the time, that the people that are fighting against the empire will keep coming, will keep engaged. And so they're saying, OK, we'll, 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 we'll go the Wells way, basically, as Wells and Churchill were, were close together. So space travel, life extension, intelligence increase are three three elements. And that involves a total transformation of the human into a mechanical, uh, me- mechanical being that the the human becomes a machine. Uh, and this is where all the Matrix ideas uh, go back to. So this is where mm-hmm. Aldous Huxley's Brave New World is informed by the babies are born, you know, and ectogenesis, and, and like, like in the Matrix. It goes, goes back to this plan that they have to make humans machines, basically. Uh, and that would mm-hmm. solve the biological problem because all of these guys that drive this agenda like J.D. Bernal, who was a Stalinist uh, as well. A lot of them were, 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 were quite extreme left. Uh, H.G. Wells thought that uh, Stalin was a great man. You know, maybe he didn't plan enough, but uh, they, they, they had great admiration for, for, for uh, Bolshevik Russia. Uh, J.D. Bernal, the great cri- crystallographer, wrote a, a beautiful obituary for Stalin, uh, you know, praising his, 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 him as a great scientist. Because, of course, uh, that's what Stalin described as uh, scientific socialism. So they're they're all involved in a very, uh, very strong idea about creating this material future, informed, obviously, by Nietzsche and the Superman, the superhuman, the Ubermensch, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But this transfer to material is important because they don't like the vulnerability of the of the human body they don't like this fleshiness they don't like this incarnation they want to be as gods and they want to make people yeah. uh, machine like and tied up to the system and of course coming from an imperial system which is designed to control people they this is an ideal way to control people if you force them into uh, into a system and of course it's predicated on the idea as well of darwinian evolution And Darwinian evolution uh, was uh, promoted by Thomas Henry Huxley, who uh, promoted this anti-spirit idea, agnosticism, which means you have to prove things scientifically in order for them to exist. So if you say you have a mystical Mm -hmm. experience, you'd have to prove it in some way scientifically, which is impossible to do. Uh, they they take the seer out of uh, well almost but they take the seer out of the thing they ignore the very thing that they uh, they claim doesn't doesn't exist for the for the benefit of their equation and Huxley was H G Wells teacher uh, and Wells brought on the thing and and following on from Wells you had Arthur C Clarke and you know so you, so you have this thing so so then when we come to modern people uh, people get annoyed when I say look uh, you have to look at some of your heroes again. They really get annoyed. They say, oh, yeah, I agree with you. But you can't say anything about Terence McKenna. I get, I get this all the time. You're <laughs> wrong about him. Yeah, and they get really mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, protective about Terence McKenna. Or Robert Anton Wilson. Now, I like, the, I like these guys. But I ask people to, to, to listen to what they're going. I have more respect for them because I listen to what, what they actually said. Robert Anton mm-hmm. Wilson uh, and um, Timothy Leary. If you look at what they say all their agenda is consistent with, with what the guys said in, in in the 1920s so what i ask myself is where does this fit into the overall picture we have to go back to what they said they were going to do and if it's furthering that aim then uh, you know so if we the judge elon musk space travel uh, he's not so big in the life extension but he is on the intelligence increase and and the brain computer yeah. interface it's, it's all it's all written now So uh, it's all in it's all in the plan. And even Thomas Henry Huxley, the name of the club he set up of scientists to enter into other institutions was called the X Club. So I, of course, when I see (laughs) SpaceX, you know, I say, well, this is actually this is where it comes from. I mean, this is the the pattern. You can't ignore the historical context. They're telling you straight Mm -hmm. straight up as far as I can see. It's utterly. Consistent. So, when it comes to the issue of food, there's a few principles in relation to distinguishing transhumanism from from humanism. That the restoration, the first principle, is the restoration of normal human expectations, uh, is not is not transhumanism, because you're you're only restoring a humanism. It's restorative. It's not an enhancement. It's not an addition. and augmentation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, certain, you know. So, for example. Uh, harrington would would see the the contraceptive pill as a classic example of a transhumanist move to suppress something in in the human body a direct influence different from you know taking a vitamin c or something um Mm -hmm. so, so that's that's one principle the second one is that obviously the closer you get to its source in its some original context the better in general the closer it is to the The environment we're adapted to, and here is the thing that doesn't make sense. For for hundred and sixty years, whatever the the scientists have been drilling us with the significance of natural selection, natural selection, natural selection, natural selection. So when we come to the point where the principle is accepted, they immediately shift to artificial selection. Well, because (laughs) it's natural selection, we're not doing that anymore. We're actually it's artificial uh, selection. So it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. If you understood natural selection, you'd say, "Okay, well, then what we're going to do is live more consistent with our abilities that we're adapted to. But the policy is to adapt the environment. Now, this goes back longer. This goes back to Francis Bacon. Uh, And Francis Bacon and the idea of plantation, the idea of colonization was about changing the environment to suit power not all mm-hmm. mankind to suit power structures so you change the environment you, you create a technosphere this is where all the crystal palace all these ideas came from we're going to create in the uh, what dawkins called the extended phenotype we're going to create the world and we're going to adapt the world to our needs now here is the problem last point post-humanism crit- critiques all humans so you're responsible for this. You and people like mm-hmm. you, and especially and even on the basis of the color of your skin, you're more responsible for this. Unbelievable! This is the way they do they, they haven't read Irish history, um, but it's—it's it's unbelievable. This, this. So what that is, what why I'm, what I believe is that this is uh, part of the continuation of that. If you like, capitalist, whatever you want, a technological. I, I see the capitalists and communists as the same materialist system. They're mm-hmm. trying to blame everyone, so we won't blame the people who are responsible—the people with the resources. That's what the objective. It's it's the it's the whole uh, whole lot of humankind, and this gives them mm-hmm. the legitimacy to interfere directly in the human, and also to eradicate them. That that that's what the consequence of it is. So, sorry, I went no. on too long there a bit, Dominique, Apologize. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um i've listened to you before i know
0: how it works <laughs> <laughs> i love yeah, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean uh yeah i mean, you, you've again you've touched on many points that i, I wanted to address anyway. so uh, uh but uh, I'm, I'm 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 curious uh if we want to go a bit more into posthumanism even if we kind of went over that uh uh Oh, okay, well, I should start with saying that I, I haven't dug that much into the, yeah. the concept, uh, and um, so uh, just to to kind of uh, recount what I've what we've been saying in our emails, um, I've heard. I wonder if I should uh, name names here, but I guess I should. I could. Um, so, my understanding of posthumanism. Uh, has come mostly from uh Debashish Banerjee, yeah. who was interviewed with on uh New Thinking Aloud, with Jeffrey yes, yeah, I heard it yeah. And um I wouldn't be surprised if you watched that interview. <laughs> <Good. Yeah. laughs> um so my understanding was that what he was proposing was something that a, a view of posthumanism that 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 uh was more related to the innate abilities of the human so based on the on practicing the the siddhis uh and that we find in in the Vedas, um that basically the human over time and maybe there's something just normal or evolutionary in that view of the term um So basically, uh, humans would become kind of godly in a way, but it would be through, in a way, natural uh, means, as the other uh, use of the term that I've seen out there. And I'm wondering how, how much it's intentional, actually, to kind of make us forget about that if, if th- such a version of h- post humanism exists, just to make sure we don't go that way, and just, uh, yeah, uh, presenting post humanism as an offshoot of trans- transhumanism, and so that eventually we would have merged so much with the machine that our psyches would be kind of a mishmash of AI mm-hmm. and you know like brain manifestations <laughs> or something and uh, same with our bodies so we we, we can't call uh, call us human anymore you know so in other terms and this is where the uh, the the image of the um, Promethean fire comes in and for me it's it's been uh, a question like what does it mean exactly and I'm sure you know a lot more about that than me. So what does it represent exactly the Promethean fire? Is it a metaphor for um, faking through electronic means, basically uh, computational and robotic means the superpower, quote unquote, superpowers of the the gods? Or does that fire, in fact, in truth, represent uh, the ability of humans to develop something akin to, uh, you know, like eternal life or, uh, uh, omnipresence or something akin to that. So I don't know if I'm being very clear here, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I'll, I'll try and link them together just to explain to people, uh, where we're talking about now, humanism is Now, see, immediately they set up a a straw man and they say, this is what humanism is. And then they go on to say, oh, well, we don't want that. We want this, Uh, post-humanism. So just to explain to people, perhaps starting with transhumanism. So transhumanism is a term that's that's really got popular in the last 20 years and refers to context of artificial enhancement or augmentation of human uh, functions with technology. So it's a human plus it's adding to it. So yeah. in, in, the post humanists criticize them and say, oh, well you're not, you're not changing you're not changing humanism too much, you're just adding to it. you're being more humanist. Uh, and sometimes I feel more sympathetic to the transhumanist when I hear that argument. The posthumanist, and again there's a whole different. I, I'm not going to uh, bore you just going through all the, the literature on it, but there's a whole ra- range of, of what it is. So, I mean, if you follow the transhumanist path, you're going to come to a post-human situation anyway. At a certain point with the merger of with machine, you'll become something else and you will therefore be post-human and the same as the way that Max Tegmark talked about human 3.0. They won't be the old humans and Philip K. Dick even talked about this. But post-humanism claims to be in many senses a, a mixture of things which critiques humanism now what they say about humanism they say humanism they said there, w- there was never an agreement on the definition of what human uh, humanism is or what humans are this is this is a key proposition they say there was never an agreement on what a human is now th- this is quite remarkable uh, but this is what they say and they say because women were excluded children were excluded it was only you know white this is the typical argument standard argument white western independent men that was you know so they, they present that like a cowboy film or something out like of the 1920s <laughs> uh, the horse operas as they were called and then they say we don't want that we have to move on we have to move on to post-humanism and the technology is coming so it changes everyone so the boundaries break down there's no such thing as a human species if you focus on the human species as superior you're a speciest uh, and that's wrong and there is, we we can't have this hierarchy. Humans are not special, um, and and it goes on like that. So, that's the context in which I read Debashish when I look at the literature. Now, he is one of the better ones. So, uh, when I hear that interview, I've nothing really to, to, to not too much to criticise about it. Uh, so, I don't want to I don't want to certainly uh, attack him. He, he is one of the better ones, and if you read these edited volumes, and they're very articulate, very nuanced, very. Uh, complex arguments I, I don't want to oversimplify them but the the implication of post-humanism you can't get away is to break down the idea of humanness and the human whatever way they say it uh, by breaking in the boundaries and the only co- or they kind of vindicate the inevitability of this technical penetration of the human body for me and the connection the necessary connection they take it as a fate accompli and therefore, it's done. It's, we, we, we accept this. And uh, people like Donna Haraway, although she doesn't describe herself as posthumanist anymore, you know, talks about I'd rather be a cyborg than a goddess. And there's this these motifs: the cyborg, the zombie, all, all these kind of things with the posthuman stuff. And this is supposedly based on a love of animals, or more respect for ecology, uh, more respect for you know insects. Why we look down on insects? Uh, looking at the arguments whether we should eat insects or not. Uh, some of the uh, some of them really may be a very uh, a great surprise to people if they begin to look at uh, some some of the arguments my argument is that post-humanism is, is a product of this attitude that i talked about in the 20s it's merely a manifestation of this that came out of the military industrial complex it is a preparation for the next stage that the military industrial complex the deep state Transnational corporations have planned for us, so you have no human rights. Uh, and when they say that they weren't regarded as humans, they usually say, Well, in you know, it's really in law, you know, that's certain that there was exclusion. That's not true. And I know from legal history, this is an inaccurate description of the identification. They confuse things like legal standing, locus standi, legal capacity. Um, and things like that, uh, that that are not about the definition of a human. It, it's 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 on a weak foundation. And then they locate mm-hmm. humanism in the Renaissance, and that's only one. They either say it was it was started in the Renaissance or it was started mm-hmm. in the uh, the Enlightenment. Now they're hugely different things. It depends uh, who you pick. If you pick the Enlightenment, you're in a narrower zone. If you pick If you pick the humanism of the Renaissance and and you you talk about Pico de Mirandola, he saw everything as interconnected. He never put the human, especially. he focused on human dignity, but the human was in a vast chain of being, everything. It's absurd to to extract a humanism. The humanism that they're talking about comes out of the scientific tradition tradition which is promoting post-humanism. So I I believe that this post-humanism in its origin, really is embedded. Now, I'm not saying about Debashish or any of those individuals uh, are, are doing that, but this is the origin, in my view, and this is where transhumanism comes from. Where did the term come from? It comes from Julian Huxley. I mean, it's Julian Huxley, mm-hmm. uh, grandson of uh, Huxley, British Empire, uh, head of UNESCO, expanding New World or mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's, it's all there. So this is the tradition that they come in. And, and I, 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 after looking at the literature, I'll not be convinced uh, otherwise. The implications are profoundly disturbing, profoundly disturbing. I believe they will be used. Uh, well, here's a, Mao Zedong said that revolution is, you know, the famous quote, it's not a garden party. Uh, that uh, And some of the post humanists, don't seem to understand the implications of what they're saying and the license they're giving uh, to emerging governance to act in particular ways on, on on the subject and in particular once you abolish this concept of human dignity well then you've no obligation mm-hmm. to accord human rights now we've seen human rights being picked apart in the last few years you've seen it in, in canada in the last uh, few years that they are taken apart well and this idea if we abolish the notion of the human, there's no, there's no even pretense. Uh, you know, we've gone past the emergency legislation when they just wiped this slate clean. There'd be no commitments mm-hmm. to anything like that. So uh, I see it as very dangerous. I see it as very ill-informed. Uh, again, I'm not not that and I'm not saying about that. I'm talking about the whole thing, the whole movement. Ill-informed on mm-hmm. a legal perspective, wrong, uh, misconstrued, and dangerous uh and i see it as a a, a reflection of, of 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 this tradition and uh the claims oh well you know they embrace you know the it sounds good if you get oh, you know we're in favor of animals we're in favor of these ancient things we're in favor of this we're in favor of that you know and you say well actually when you look it, 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 it's 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 an unsustainable alliance that they claim they they, 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 they they stand in, in, in front of these movements with little causal relationship uh, between them, and they threaten to undermine all the achievements of those movements that have, over periods of time, gained women's rights, gained uh, uh, right anti discrimination, etc. And it fails to mm. understand basic principles like equality, what equality before the law was, and how long it existed. Uh, they fail to understand uh, equity was a, a particular. Legal uh, jurisdiction, associate w- w- which modified the common law uh, courts, have failed to uh, to understand them. They failed to understand what was happening in Europe for the fifteen hundred years before the Renaissance. You know what was happening with the idea of the human, the dignity of the human. They just ignore all, all, all that kind of stuff. They failed mm-hmm. to they fail to understand. For ex- I'll give you an example in Ireland in the early monks. Uh, in 697, they promulgated a code on the protection of women and children uh, Group uh, in in combat. And they brought together people from Ireland, Scotland, England. It was, so it was an international convention, an agreement that the monks broke to protect women and children and uh, non-combatants long before the Geneva mm-hmm. Convention. So I'm hearing all kinds of daft stuff. I was listening to a man that I was otherwise enjoying, an Islamic scholar who said that human rights began in the 1960s. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking. And the post-humanists are saying there was nothing there before. They're ignoring all that because they don't know about it. And even on the things mm-hmm. like, oh, well, insects should have rights. In French legal cases, for example, there's plenty of evidence where the court made, the ecclesiastical courts in particular, made orders which were directed to swarms of insects. It's incredible, but it's there in the record. Pigs and that were prosecuted. So the idea that they weren't regarded as legal persons even is wrong. In the 1920s, the Privy Council in London, hearing an appeal from the Indian courts, held that an idol you know, uh, could hold legal right and have legal standing. Their analysis of history is wrong because really this is a continuation of postmodernism it's an ideological mm. agenda underneath it, whether people realize it or not. It's a deconstructive thing. And what's been deconstructed is the humans and uh, mm. the, the idea of, of, of spirituality. So we're forced to once, once you go on that path, it's difficult to come back. In my view, I don't care about the possibilities, the intellectual. Posi- These are not intellectual things. When we're talking about mm-hmm. spiritual consciousness, we're not talking about constructs, we're talking about real forces. The mystical things that we're talking about are actual forces. They're not constructs. This is what, what, what a lot of people don't understand. The Promethean bit informs both, uh, both um, post humanism and transhumanism. And in fact, Prometheus was mentioned in the title of the article where post human was first used. So, Prometheanism yeah. represents the aspect of the human mind which privileges the human will the magical aspect and the ruthless aspect so prometheans want to be gods in many senses they mm-hmm. feel resentment that there are gods or higher forces that's why they want to you know steal the fire for the humans I I I don't think so not not, not that's not what the objective is the power is the most important thing so it fits into the kind of Alistair Crowley will of the magician uh idea and we can see in the 1960s what is specifically meant by Feinberg and people in in America who influenced the present generation of AI and advocates who claim now that they are making God this is what they're claiming they are making God now that's not good for you I I can guarantee but Feinberg and that identified the elements of Prometheanism as he saw it space exploration mm-hmm. life the same old stuff it's the same old stuff yep. it's an imperial agenda so when you come to judge things if you judge things and what they said they were doing 100 years ago uh the empires as they're transitioning um to the new empires the empire of scientism as they call them well then you can follow the paths through and and then Prometheanism is a vague no last point on this there's a lot of undermining of tradition traditional religion so for example they say oh well jesus was a myth so we can disregard it but prometheus mm-hmm. is a myth <laughs> with, with much less in it and it's a central philosophy yeah. it's absurd so um I, i'm sticking with the validity of especially long spiritual traditions i respect them all and try and learn off them and we can't cast them aside we can't be Misled. We have to see what's there and extend them uh, our, ourselves. But I've become very critical and I will be very critical of uh posthumanism, notwithstanding Debashis is a very good speaker and very engaging and very nice, seems very nice man. And I'm not attributing mm-hmm. those motivations to him. Uh, yeah. Um you look about. You look a bit like my John D here behind me now. Looking at you on the team, which are which are hat and your beard. I,
0: I, it's and there's another thing that's really interesting about that also. Uh, and well, we're going to come back to uh, to what we were saying, but just as an aside, uh, yeah. there's been in the in the the few last shows. There's there's been kind of a. Um, uh, a a wire that connects everything even though like i didn't choose it and because you just you mentioned uh crowley you mentioned uh and then we have john d and the mention of i i haven't had time to uh read Yeah, yeah yeah but uh the the two uh last people that i've interviewed uh are both magicians so uh the uh the first one was uh Douglas Bachelor from um, host of the what magic is this podcast pretty big podcast about magic and last uh, and the la- my last interview was with um uh Denis Poisson uh, also known as uh, Foolish Fish, who's uh, doing a lot of uh, uh, book re- magic, uh, magic in occult and esoteric book reviews, but also mm-hmm. has a lot of videos about his philosophies and its practice also. And it's what's interesting is um, with the, even though I didn't ask Douglas about uh, Crowley, he, we ended up talking about, uh, Crowley's view of the, um, uh, the holy guardian angel. Hmm. Uh, and then I, uh, and then Denis Poisson posted a video, uh, about the great work of the magician and mentioning, uh, the holy guardian angel in a very different way. So I thought I'm going to reach out to him, you know, hmm. and in my research, uh, I I saw a video of Denis Poisson in which he uh, called. I think the video was called "The Problem with My Religion," and in which he describes himself as a perennialist, basically. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. That because I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I I believe that's how you would also describe yourself. That's a word you would dis- use to describe. Certainly,
1: is like, one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting subjects, for me to to, to to yeah to, to yeah yeah well
0: that's something that it's also something that I don't know that much about so I asked mm-hmm. uh, Denise's opinion ab- uh, about this and it it seemed pretty clear from what he was saying that it's uh, again kind of a touchy subject you know like uh, yeah. what exactly is that you know and yeah. that's that was going to be my first question to you to kind mm-hmm. kind of continue that link what it, what does it mean exactly. Yeah. for you to be a perennialist? And uh, how does that m- manifest in, in your in your uh, daily life? Yeah. Uh, we can it's go there if you want or...
1: Certainly, yeah, it's an important question. I, I'm actually, I was asked about that yesterday by, by someone. And um, mm. it's an important question. And immediately, we'd have to say that there are different streams of perennialism. Uh, so you have two kind of two ideas I think two broad ideas Uh, they they all say a similar thing they all say that the great traditions have a a core base or a a common core or a similar base or similar principles or attending in the same direction um and from that some people say well therefore you can you can pick and choose and extract yourself in a Gnostic way if you like where to go other more if you like traditional perennialists say well actually the best way to do it is to work in one tradition and deepen yourself in that so mm-hmm. you might whatever way you choose you're still going the right direction whether you're sufi or, or catholic or whatever if you're being mystical but you're deepening your, your knowledge of one thing so this this is a a a a, a difference some perennialists would reject you know the religious structure of you know that, that tradition uh, even though uh, like charles upton for example who 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 follows that sufi tradition obviously he has to embed himself or well there's debates about but he is embedded in islamic scholarship uh, as well so that that's not inconsistent and when you get to a point a depth that he is he would have as much respect for the path in the, the Christian tradition, or, or, or whatever. So they, they don't see them as mutually exclusive, which is important. Which, where, where some traditionalists would say, "No, this this is my exclusive path." So there's different emphasis uh, in that, and it creates a challenge. And these are these are where some of the most difficult issues come in relation to mystical path between the uh the esoteric and the exoteric so you might be able to engage in all kinds of wonderful things about you know uh, whatever all you might have all the cities and all that but they they may amount to nothing if it's not related to you know in some views if it's not related to if it's not anchored in a context uh, and this is a great difficulty because a lot of gnostics uh, with a small g will reject the idea that they're bound by any rules that, you know, they should follow, you know, why should they follow commandments? Or why should they follow? And this is, this is the great difficulty. And mm-hmm. this is part of a Western decadence, if you like, probably because Western society is collapsing, that they have assumed that the inculcated Judeo-Christian principles in society are going to continue. But they're not mm-hmm. going to continue. They're dependent on some conditions uh that that uh, you know when you take away all the theological input there won't be that principle so what do you say to a person that doesn't believe you know that they can't take your life you know that doesn't what, what do you say to a person that, that has no conception of any restrictions not that they it's not that they uh, have a problem in doing it it's that they have no conception that there's anything wrong with it and especially mm-hmm. when you've undermined the legal protection so there is a tension there that in the West, and in particular, if we, if we look at the spiritual movement in California, uh, the spiritual movement in California, it's been a base for, for for the spiritual movement, but they choose a particular type. They choose, uh, they're disposed towards Orientalism, uh, they're disposed mm-hmm. towards India, uh, Buddhism, you know, and... and uh, and in some ways, of course, what else is California famous for apart from being, you know, the, the, where the empire went to establish its base, the British Empire, um, uh, for communications and uh, computer? It's famous for the military-industrial complex. That's where its heart, its beating heart, is. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have this strange. You say, well, okay, well, that could be a reaction against the military-industrial complex. Some of it is. Could also be a continuation. Of the military industrial complex because you can extract, you can say, Well, the Bhagavad Gita shows you know that war is okay and just do your best. You know, you know there mm-hmm. is these there these arguments, um, and there there are difficulties there when you say, Well, so, so there's a very strong idea in people that are interested in post humanism, transhumanism, that well, we have spirituality, but there's no, no dogma, we can't have any dogma. And you say, Well, okay, well. What do you, is it okay to steal? You know, where do we start? You know, what I mean, Th- these are serious questions because these are being yeah. undermined now. Because there's plenty of people now. It's a thing that I wouldn't have thought that I would have seen in my life that believe morally that it's okay to steal. You know, that that's you know because of political changes. This this is quite incredible, and 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 soon they will believe that it's okay morally to kill. You know, so the question is the link as well between the so it's not actually, the, the, a lot of the questions are not about the esoteric dimensions. Uh, there's loads of traditions to draw on. It's about what rules do you stand for in relation to how we run society? Simple things like that, you know, and, yeah. and that's, the, that's a kind of becoming more and more difficult, especially when, when you abolish Right. So I did ask someone last week, well, I was saying, I don't really understand what you're saying. Just give us a simple question. Do you believe it's wrong to steal? And I didn't get an answer back. No, you know, now then maybe they overlook the question. but I mean, I just want to find out what it is. So the perennialist, in, in many senses, is referring as well to an exoteric tradition, some rules. And when you look at them, a lot of them are not really, you know, and it's coarse. Now, You know, you're, you're, not, you're not meant to be killing. You're not meant to be stealing. You know, I mean, we can argue about the exceptions and the penumbra. But, but I mean, there's some principles that are pretty consistent in, in all cultures. Now, when you say well we don't want any of that well i'm concerned I'm, I'm concerned about what that means and then you say well why do we have these rules now if we take a, a an idea that well say in, in a christian context you're a reflect you're a divine reflection you're created in the image of god i must recognize you because of that and therefore i mustn't do harm to you and i must help you in fact whatever and then you find a similar mm-hmm. principle in buddhism and the principles about right words and that and you say well, there's similarities here. We can get some basic heuristics a rule of conduct. We shouldn't be saying bad things about people. We shouldn't be hurting uh, humans or animals or wh- whatever, and we can take them. So, so that's w- that's the difficult bit. If you if you if one is just gnostic or if one takes a particular particular path, in relation to magic, mm-hmm. um, th- th- there is a distinction about between magic and mysticism, which you know is difficult to make at times. But if we go back to the Renaissance those distinctions uh, and scholars have talked about the difference between the uh, natural magic and divine light magic for example now i think divine light magic is the core bit it's, it's 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 about a higher order thing it's not about your will in this thing it's not about getting things it's not about achieving things it's about finding mechanisms to maintain mm-hmm. contact with a higher dimension that people believe they're interacting with and going to And into that come a load of issues. For example, a lot of what people seem to be talking about, for me, when they're talking about some practices or spiritual practices, they seem to be in the lower astral dimensions. You know, Mm seeing all these strange creatures. They seem to be in there. Now, the mystics don't want to be in there. They're not interested. That's not where they want to be. And they certainly don't want to go there when they're dead, you know, insofar as they can... (laughs) Uh, understand what's there but a lot of mm-hmm. the a lot of the sensational aspects the sentimental aspects the easily gained aspects especially in the drug context i'm not saying they don't get higher order things but they're going into zones that other mystics don't really want to spend time in or or if they have spent time and i think charles upton talked about that they don't believe that it's meaningful in the long term because there's deeper principles and uh, deeper principles of comes back to what you think the ultimate thing is i I sometimes refer to the divine as the unbeknownst uh because there's a a lot of complications about particular words we use but something which is the great mystery if you like which is beyond comprehension beyond articulation Mm -hmm. uh but that exists uh and that i believe exists and is is what you are seeking to uh, to connect with i don't know if that addressed your uh or some of the questions that you raised i'll stop there to give you a chance
0: (laughs) well i mean it's uh it's i'm guessing it's 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 kind of a great, uh, uh survey of what peren- perennialism, uh, is and might be, and especially for you. And, uh, it's interesting cause I, I, I often say it, I am going to repeat it. I'm not formally educated and I, I have, uh, I, I, have noticed that I might be a mystic myself. <laughs> okay. But I, uh, the way that i i live my mysticism uh, is um, mainly through uh and maybe it's a, a bad path i don't know P- uh, the future will tell uh but it's through uh just personal experience and and um as a result i think maybe what i lack in in some ways is is how to connect all of these things it's something that you you're so good at you know like how do we as a species connect uh through with all these uh, concepts and um uh because for me like sometimes i i i say uh as a half joke that i'm a recovering non-dualist and uh because you, you were uh you 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 talked about uh the influence of eastern religions and uh, uh on the west basically and i was uh i guess you know like the 14 year old kid stumbling upon a, a book about zen and starting to uh you know do zazen and mm eventually becoming a non-dualist and, uh, subsequently a, um, a nihilist, uh, uh, who was suffering, uh, very much from the experience of, uh, the un, un- unnamable you know, like how is it that, that one can, uh, make decisions, life decisions. And it's actually, it's interesting because, uh, to bring it back to magic, uh, I've, often call uh, been feeling a certain call uh, towards magical practice, but I've never been really able to commit to it because it feels to me like the essence Mm. of action is not doesn't does does not really come from the egoic uh, vehicle and the intellect. Mm. And uh, so over time, I've um, kind of cured my, uh, <laughs> my mm-hmm. non-dualism, if you want to call it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because of a, uh, and it's a story I've told before, also, I'm not going to recount the whole thing, but uh, because of a, a Rumi poem, actually just a, a line uh, about the, um, uh, the, the listening to the, the, the voice uh, that tells the rose to bloom, you know, and to me that that kind of became my center point. of of focus like this is just what I want I want to live as the tree and the plants do you know as in I don't want uh, necessarily uh, to decide things as much as I uh, well there is a decision involved but it stems it stems from a, a a deep feeling of what nature is manifesting through me and uh i I guess in a way it maybe it keeps me a bit uh isolated uh and for me it's a big problem you know like how can all the people act like that what the what what would the world look like you know um uh,
1: uh, uh, isolated in what sense
0: as in um not necessarily uh, in the in the literal sense, but um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to to relate to any concept of what people should do or people shouldn't do, and uh, you know, like if you have time, we can maybe go to
1: towards. the stealing in that warehouse. I'm sorry. <laughs> Were you stealing stuff in that warehouse? Are you against people stealing? I'm joking. A reference.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, no, I, I'm.
1: Um, I, I was. I'm, I'm joking for anyone uh, from the warehouse. What, what <laughs> yeah. you understand the point I make? Um, I'm making? I'm the,
0: not there anymore. So even if I, I did steal, it's too late <laughs> now. <laughs>
1: uh, as a lawyer, I, I don't make any confessions on, on the. But the um, <laughs> Well, let, let me uh, make a few points. Uh, the, say, it could have been that my family, going back, were Catholics for 1,500 years, or Christians. Uh, it's possible, because um, if you look at the early things and some one of the early saints, there was some relation. So it could have been. So this is the long, long tradition, you know, that people are willing to, to throw apart, apart from what the church was. If you look at the early Irish church, it was decentralised, very attached to nature. If we we have reports which I think are accurate from about Columba, for example, his life. He was interacting with angelic beings, with, with, with spirits, with lights. They could interpret the weather. They could they produced the great or uh, the, the, the the lovely books, uh, the, the Book of Kells, Celtic crosses. Navigated Iceland, the pharaohs, probably America in little boats. Uh, and John Dee probably got most of his secrets from the, from the libraries they robbed from the monks. He had, his big library was obtained from the monks. So the reason he probably knew about where the British Empire was going, because they probably found good maps there. I, I believe that. It's, it's not mentioned. Of course, during the Reformation, it devastated uh, all the monasteries and took all their learning and then claimed it for themselves. Oh, it was us scientists that brought in all the hospital, all the kind of stuff. They had to replace them because the monks had been doing that, but they had a lot of a lot of esoteric knowledge. And of course, people say, "Oh well, there was a Roman Empire that changed," you know, a bit like my argument is different, worked differently. The Ro- Roman Empire, you know, spread Catholicism, but Rome had collapsed volcanoes go off 536 540s we had the dark ages as a result of that it changed irish society the pagan society i believe linked in that's why we have the cross with the circle around it, the sun representing the pre-pagan uh, pre-christian pagan idea and the the um christian thing so they knew magic and therefore they could they were better than some of the traditional magicians that's why they could they succeeded and a lot of the traditional magicians couldn't do their their, their magic anymore they couldn't bring the sun back because it was it was full of the 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 clouds of fumes and and their power was gone so that that's i believe the source of that christianity that came into europe and spread in the monastic tradition before the normans and that changed it because when the normans invade in 1169 it's a Catholic structure coming into a Catholic country. Uh, it was, so it was obviously a different type of uh, Catholicism. It was mm-hmm. Norman militaristic, based on the Vikings that had settled in Normandy. Uh, and this is the source. These are the same people that are running the world today. I believe that it's a consistent tradition with some Roman families from the empire after it collapsed with imperial ambitions that worked in conjunction with the city of London. When, they, when William the Conqueror came to London, he didn't disestablish the city, the, the, the financial or trading area as it was. And that's still an independent. It's one of the longest continuous independent uh, states, if you like, uh, or, or, or corporations uh, uh, in the world. Um, and once you mention the city of London, your, your views will go down, I guarantee you. But uh, so that's not that's not London city. The whole lot, or city of Westminster is that financial uh Area. So, if we look at Steiner, Steiner said that the most important event in human history was Golgotha, and not only that, but he said that, in spiritual terms, that mm. uh, in Ireland they could perceive what was happening in Golgotha. Not only that, they knew it was going to happen beforehand. Now, this this is difficult for people to understand, but this is the the different type of esoteric perception that. Uh, they existed in, in, in certain contexts. People might find that that strange, but there was connections between uh, Britain and Ireland uh, in, in tin trade and things like that well before the birth of, of Christ and it's been proven by finds, archaeological finds. And it was even, of course, that's why William Blake wondered whether Christ had come to uh, to Britain. Uh, did these feet in ancient times walk upon England, etc.? Uh, Mm -hmm. green and pleasant lands had Jesus come uh, over to uh, you know uh, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility I'm not saying it's true but it's established that there's a lot more connections so um, what Steiner says is what he distinguishes is between the Aramanic force the materialist force the Christ force and the Luciferic force what's the Luciferic force the Luciferic force is this is, is, is the dangerous aspect of mysticism the, the, the idea that you kind of float away from reality into what William E. H. talked about, sipping from the honey pot of the mind and disappearing into some place that's, that's uh, disembodied uh, from mm-hmm. reality. And I think that the Christ thing that he emphasises as well is this incarnational aspect. Whatever way it is, we're in this body and it's critical in the whole story of that. And even that can be, there's deeper elements to that because... If you look at critiques, the Atlas of AI by Kate Crawford, she talks about well, when we're analyzing AI, you have to look at it, its incarnation. How was it formed? What's, and then, you, well, of course, you see yeah. it's a military industrial complex, but it's a good way of thinking about things, is what Alul was talking about. So, this Luciferic thing is a danger, the danger that one is drifting off into, which is a similar thing in the magical thing. And the problem, of course, and the magical thing is, is if it becomes about controlling things, well, this is the problem. The desire to control, mm-hmm. cer- controlling certain things is different than natural magic um, or communication yeah. or, as you're saying, practices. But if you're trying to control spirits, for example, uh, that's not what the mystical uh, the mystical uh, person does. That control thing, and it's yeah. also a dangerous thing. I'd warn, I personally warn people uh, about that it's not my cup of tea the mystical person is about which is reflected in the idea not in a weak way of submission it's of openness that's what kabbalah means in one sense it's reception It's you're being receptive to what's there that's why you can uh, when your reception opens up you can begin to know what's happening on the other side of the world sometimes that's why some of these gifts will come as spiritual gifts not as Mm -hmm not as controlled things where in magical tradition they use spirits they control them and that's what a lot of people don't understand and the magical some of the magical traditions are drawing on christian things to protect them against these evil spirits although they, they supposedly don't believe in them so um what we have to distinguish as well is a very important distinction between the psyche and the spirit what they sought to do in this empire of scientism from 1864 was to distinguish, to cut this transcendent spiritual out of it and to replace something which was about psychic forces, about that. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jung fits in. Mm. So whether Jung and those or people actually believe in the spiritual thing is another question. This is the problem when you read some of the post-humanist things. They say, oh, yeah, they get this spiritual thing. It may not be. They may be describing psychic constructs. And there's many of those people. I'm not saying again, again, not about Debashish, uh, although I would have a different reading of Aurobindo, I think, than he does, because Aurobindo criticizes Nietzsche uh, Nietzsche and the uh, Superman in an essay in, I think it was 1914. Um, So the psyche, and a lot of people can believe in things like like egregores and all that because they're more materialist. Uh, The Promethean thing as well, it's a material thing, the fire thing but they don't really believe in spiritual things. They don't believe that there's, th- 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 there's things there and there's possibilities there. The question that you will have to work out is what's the relationship between the unbeknownst and what you do in the world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing, but you're doing something now by addressing and exploring these topics. You're actually doing something in that context. The difficult one is translating this into meaningful terms. But if we can make one or two people understand what posthumanism is and begin to consider it and recognize it, we're doing something useful. So mm-hmm. the, there's power in our discourse, our communication, our exploration, our words, our efforts to analyze. Uh, and we can create that dialogue as well, which is magic, uh, magic is based based yeah. on words it's about the underlying spirit now the underlying spirit might go on a long journey and find its home it's it's easier for me when i'm a bit older to see some but well, i don't want them. you know it doesn't mean you, you, you're not uh, as confused about some. or because some of these issues are beyond comprehension they're incapable mm-hmm. of being answered in the light and they're not meant to be but it doesn't take away from the experiential sense of spiritual light uh, as I was, which is a real phenomenon but you yeah. still want to be able to distinguish what's a false thing and what's a real thing. And that's where some of the perennials or more traditional perennials will say, well, you need some reference points because actually it was it was in uh, La Salette, in, in one of the apparitions, the Marian apparitions in La Salette in 1836, that I think it was there that uh, it was reported from the Virgin Mary that she warned about people becoming wandering stars that was a very interesting expression. Nobody talks about it. But it was the idea that you are some kind of spiritual being but just kind of drifts off of the space somewhere with no connection. And that's not yeah. what the traditions say. They say you have to – there's a different emphasis in Buddhism and Christianity, for example, uh, and Islam. So it depends on where uh, – what the thing is. I, I believe engagement is important. I believe face-to-face is important. I've talked about that. I believe the human is important. I'm going to defend the human. Uh, I'm going to defend the significance of human interaction. I'm going to defend the, uh, the human uh, in its state that it is, and and, and reject these oversimplifications of of, of humanism. Um, so some of these principles will answer the bigger questions because when you come down, and say, well, that's what I kind of important for me. The traditions or whatever they are out there will inform reflexively from your own. A disposition and what, what begins to—I won't say feel right, but you, that you know is right in a deeper sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I can already say that because uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned something about uh, doing something and being uh, to incarnating the—I hmm. uh, can't remember the word, the term, the, the hmm. term you used, but the light, basically. Yeah, and yeah. you know, uh, for me, like, I don't want to make make this about myself but uh,
1: um, no I'm very interested the, the all is about people's experience so well, away.
0: and I think in some ways it's it's kind of a, um, kind of a singular experience because uh, <laughs> a lot of my uh, spiritual growth and evolution has been through uh, making music especially in the context of grunge and metal which is Kind of strange, but to me, like uh, it, it uh, informed my spirituality a, a lot, especially the the notion of uh, um, doing things uh, by yourself, the DIY, DIY spirit, yes. and uh, also the, the that notion of um, not that of not having rules um, other than authenticity that's the, the basis of it all you know look so that's why especially uh, uh in the grunge movement you have all these bands that are associated with the 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 term but if you listen to them they sound so different from one another but we can feel the same spirit you know and to me it kind of blew up into my my own uh spirituality basically just to uh to me that 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 uh, roomy quote that I I was talking about. It's, it's kind of the central point, you know, and I, I felt, uh, in some of the later years of my life, uh, that I kind of was becoming more and more able to listen to that voice. And that's why I decided to write a book, uh, last year. I published it earlier this year. Um, about, uh, about what I called the mystic's path of, uh, self knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, if I was able to write that book, being a recovering non-dualist who can't decide on anything, uh, if I, if I was able to write that book and publish it and just follow through with it afterwards it was the proof that i touched I, I touched on on something you know because since writing the book i have never had as much energy as i have right now and i keep working all the time and i have i i'll openly say it right now this brings a no money at all <laughs> so that's not like a money what's that a, <laughs> i'm sorry money what's that what's that yeah well that's a uh, that's a discussion we yeah. could have but anyways so i mean that it's just you're so good at explaining at finding the right terms i sh- i i wish i i was well i i don't wish i was as good as you you you're there for that that's what you're here for <laughs>
1: well you, know, you 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 express yourself uh, admirably I'm very impressed uh, the um uh, yeah, it doesn't, there's many paths to the path, uh, as I I've said, in, and, and people can find, I mean, I think you see that in Hermann Hesse, Siddhartha, and, you know, a ferryman, fairy woman, whatever you want, uh, you you, could, you know, it doesn't matter, it would be a great butcher in the Indian traditions, so uh, you can come to it. And certainly the word, the, the voice is critical. The voice is critical, to find your voice. Now, I noticed that especially when you're an academic, you have to write in a particular style and you're in a straight jacket. And, uh, the, the thing for an artist is to find their voice because when you come to write, there are other voices in your head. I mean, when you're younger, it's more difficult, I think, because you come to it and there's a, a voice, going, you know, which is a form that's being intuited from the reading of a particular type in school or whatever like that. The other voice is going, and, you, and then you begin to get rid of them voices. And the thing that comes out is yourself, authentic in, in that sense. It's yourself. and this is. So what we have, as I've explained in, in the mystical accord, is you have a, uh, a kind of self and a true self. So the true self is the higher self. Going back to what you're talking about, the, the holding guardian angel, you could call it the man of light, the person of light, the other element, the higher spiritual element of yourself. Uh, and you're trying to accord with your, with your true self as opposed to a false self, which is a construction. You know where we put you in a box, and we say you're this, you're that, you're that, and you, and you contribute towards it, and you, and you think that this thing, this persona, the mask, is you, and it's not. It's a narcissistic kind of reflection of, of something. um So, I mean, I wrote a book about a dominatrix. I, I don't think uh, uh, more than a handful of people have written it. I mean, it wasn't really about the gory details, but it was a context in order to explore. Well, what are people saying about yeah about particular things? It actually anticipated lockdowns in london before the thing so i was right on my instincts on some of the things i gave a different reason for it for artistic reasons but i knew something was going to happen in london and i mean there uh, the thing is there i have london being subject to emergency rule uh, and that was the year before it so i I could feel that coming again as the other there's a testability about some of the things and the other book i had about about uh australian fruit bat virus before the thing came out you know so these things you can sense you know so the so finding your voice is important and i think people have to be open to different ways it can be communicated for example when i wrote my book plantation of the automatons about the future the future prison that we're going to live in before our final destruction i don't don't want people to be depressed but i mean this is the implication if we don't engage in in so the other point is it's very very easy for you to see what the problem is and to by contrast in opposing it in a peaceful way to find out what the important things are the monster is so obvious that it's easy to say well we need this strategy to deal with that or we need these are the things that it tre- is threatening so it becomes so the contrast becomes so clearer Uh, It becomes easier to say, well, I'm against that or this is what I am for uh, uh, in this context. But different types of art uh, inspire different things. So when I was thinking about this automatic system that we're going to live in, I was very drawn back to electronic music uh, and stuff that I knew. It was in the back of my head and particular bands. And I realized that these guys, because a lot of the guys in the kind of electro pop kind of uh, world a lot of them kind of had kind of tragic lives, a bit like some of the grungy thing as well. It was a bit of a nihilistic thing. But I believe that they were canaries in the coal mine. They saw the possibilities as artists of this stuff, the electronic stuff. And then on a deeper sense, they knew where this was going. I really believe that they were speaking to us. And you can see in some of the lyrics, they really, they really got us. Some of the things you would have dismissed as trite in the 70s when you go back and look at it, it was actually quite profound, even mm-hmm. seeing Kate Bush talking about her computer and that you say, well, it wouldn't yeah. have registered in the same way, uh, but she was getting it. So there was a deep, deep intuition. So, uh, music, musical context, exploration, again, painting was very, very important for me because once you concentrate on something and explore it, your intuition opens. And when your intuition opens, the other benefit is, and I, I don't want to call it the cities, but uh, as a reference point, mm-hmm. your spiritual gifts begin to blossom. And uh, to finish off on that point, you reminded me when you talked about the the power and, and, the, and the rose, you reminded me that, well, Dylan Thomas, the, the green fuse that drove the, the, the flower, I think. But in particular, I was talking about, I was explaining to someone the lyrics of the song Uh, Grace. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's a nice song. It was written about uh, Joseph Mary Plunker, who was a poet, one of the, a number of poets who were executed in 1916. He was uh, one of the signatories of the Proclamation of Independence. And uh, he was married just before his execution to Grace Gifford. So they were married for about 15 minutes. Uh, And he had written a poem and then he was shot. Uh, so he had written a poem, um, about his blood upon the rose and I, I love so much. I could see his blood upon the rose. The point being for him in Christian terms, the rose represented a spiritual thing. Of course, the rose is a classic, a classic symbol. The rose has been significant for me, but the point of, of, of really, when you look at a lot of these mystical approaches. They see the interconnectedness and the beauty and the aesthetics in all things. So if you follow a particularly, you'll find and uncover the beauty, and that beauty will bring you to a different place uh, on the spiral. And you may find it in strange places. You may find it in places you didn't expect to find. I was, I was, when I look back at some of these guys like Mackenzie and Dundee, who was a, who, who had a, who, uh, who was a big influence on the the ele- electro kind of pop the uh, era and he died tragically uh he was from dundee he was probably there at the same time i was um and uh, there was a great a great depth in it you know that wasn't obvious when it's in its appearance in, in a pop context so uh and that's that's what art is uh, not all art is like that and, and, and art certainly changes uh but uh you can come to it by any any number of routes it's where you go to it with where your powers of perception increase, your powers of and and that do, it does happen once you allow your intuition to work, and this is what the principles of the city say, you can get better at things. It's an odd thing, not just better through practice, but your abilities increase. This is this is the strange process.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, no, I can. I guess I can see it. Maybe that's what I was calling learning to learn in a way
1: yeah that's, that's a good it's, one yeah,
0: uh, yeah yeah i guess intuition uh, plays a big thing into that yeah. um yeah we're we're at the end for sure now yeah uh,
1: and, don't, and don't don't anyone ever follow that path from money oh into, well you know no, I've, I've, anyway anyway the the, the mystics genuinely are not that uh, uh, concerned about about you have everyone has to live and people do a different way people are, are more successful but you really have to follow the, the the currency of your soul the things that are important and if you yeah. if you're a mystic uh, and this is in some of the traditions as well these things are the currency of the of the next life as well the, the things that you cultivate mm. are the uh, means not of exchange of communication uh, in the next world, as you build, as, as C.S. Lewis talked about building your spiritual face, so you can talk to the gods. If you don't have one, they can't see you. So that—that—that's what till we have faces was important. for. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah.
0: I love this. It's perfect. I mean, I have so many more questions. Uh, I had one that oh, we can go again
1: so... sometime. I'm, I'm glad to, yeah. uh, I know you. are i i i've read your your book and i know about your interests so i'm oh, okay. i understand oh, really? your commitment. Okay. uh so <laughs> um uh the uh, so 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 i'm glad to explore i understand uh, that you're going through the process of exploration and we're all doing that so it's 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 a learning experience when for everybody when we kind of understand that the context and the choices and the things we have to distinguish between
0: yeah, and to, to come back to this notion of intuition, and I mean, uh, it's a, it's a training for me to uh, to, to keep uh, to keep responding to that that that, that I want to call it. I don't want to call it a higher voice because it sounds external to me. It sounds like my true voice, and some somewhere within me, like there's this confidence that. Uh, it, it it wants to come out. So whatever has to happen that allows me to have this come out, it will, you know. And uh, like, I mean, so far I've been, maybe I don't know if I should say that publicly. I'm going to knock on wood. Maybe uh, that's going to help. I've been very, extremely fortunate with just the uh, people who I've been accepting uh, talking with me, you know, like I've been, I've had a, uh, great rate of um uh yeah of people accepting my invitation uh, uh, invitation and it's it seems in a way almost magical that it happens that way
1: you know so, very very it's very strange but true principle that there are different rules that operate in relation to the path of spiritual consciousness and the world begins to behave differently when you bring your or your open your spiritual consciousness that's another thing that is not logical it's not predictable in the same way until one experiences it and this is a strange phenomenon that the there is their own rewards to it its own meaning and this is this is a the thing that people are lost when the nihilistic thing when they lose meaning Uh, and meaning uh, becomes vindicated if you like when one commits to it one has to to marry meaning to some extent not a intellectual obsessive way but in relation to accepting the fundamental principle of the validity of your own existence or the rastafari Mm -hmm. i and i kind of the deeper voice the voice the still small voice that people uh, associate with the divine voice as well that's in us all that we have to Mm -hmm. allow we have to be able to hear give space to ourselves space is a a critical world as well a lot of people don't have space intellectual space cutting out things distractions whatever to give that Thing so they can hear themselves, so they can hear their heart, etc. That that that, uh, that that's critical, um, and um, it has it will always have its own rewards because that's what all the mystical traditions say. Uh, so it's not that the people persist because it's painful. If they persist, because there's joy in uh, it's a joyous path in its in its centre and in its, in its end, its objective.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful words to finish on, James. Uh, and I mean, I I, uh, I sure hope we can do this again. I'm, I, I mean, there's so many things I wanted to talk with you
1: about. Yeah, we will certainly. And uh, it, it's, it's good sometimes when you've if some context to refer to or to move on from so we understand each other a, a bit better now and and therefore yes. you have a base to build on and to refine the points that we concentrate on so again thanks very much for the opportunity dominique I, I enjoyed the conversation and it's interesting for me to to look at other people's explorations and how they go and the trajectory and we all learn and uh, and the last point out of this if there's one thing that people take is that it's often the mystical path which leads to the engagement in the real world and the clarification about what's right and what's wrong and you know there is a right and wrong way to do things sometimes uh, and out of this if any of the people watching that don't know anything about posthumanism begin to look at it uh, and begin to see what it is because they will begin to recognize things that are affecting their world and you have to understand where these things are coming from to understand whether things are are authentic in, uh, in a deep sense or not uh so i'd I'd be happy if if uh, one or two people deepened their knowledge because if we don't we need a disciplined knowledge as well because the mystics uh are not people that are escapists are not luciferian uh, in general like that they, they don't drift off into the ether They're generally focus on very real world things and this is what evelyn underhill is very very clear about that the genuine mystics they go off and do all those things, certainly, but they come back to the world with the thing. And this is what even Joseph Campbell, that uh, you come back to them and say, here is the thing, you know, you can take it or leave it, but this is what we have to give you from that journey. That's, that's the thing. It's relevant, it's practical, it becomes that, and it becomes refined out of that. So, um, uh, yeah, so, so post-humanism and those intellectual debates are as relevant to understanding the world that we live in as... I'm sitting in the wood under a tree, which is very important too. Yeah. Okay. For sure Thanks whatever. again and good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> thank
0: you. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So you've made it to the end of this Hopscotch Chronicles podcast episode. And I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. And I thank you so much for your attention and I hope you, uh, you're you benefiting in a way or another from this conversation. So if you'd like to follow my work, whether on this podcast or my uh, personal work, you can go to Twitter or X and follow me at Domi underscore Valet, D-O-M-I underscore Valet. Same username for uh, Instagram, if you prefer that platform. You can also go to the official website for the podcast, which is hopscotchchronicles.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, as well as my personal work, you can do so by subscribing to my Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash Dominique Vallée, D-O-M-I-N-I-C Vallée, Valley. dominic Valley. vallee there you'll find video and audio versions of the, uh, the episodes without any commercials, as well as special episodes on every Sunday where I take my Sunday afternoon tea with you guys. Alright, thanks again for listening and until next time, keep reaching for the light.